tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. We used to run to Perth years ago. Uh, there was a chap over there, early grocery chain, Tom the Cheap Grocer. I don't know if people would remember him. And then we used to load tuna. This is going back in the early days in transport back to Eden. There was a big cannery at Eden. The boats we worked out of Eden used to uh, load up and call in the places like Port McDonald near uh, Mount Gambia and all the way around the coast. And we would come back with these big refrigerated trucks from Perth after taking peas over and load the tuna. And the average tuna those days were as big as me. I'm a six footer and they were as big as me. But of course, those days are all poultry and only the big and the fittest end up getting caught and later on they brought the nets in. I think that was the start of the depletion of the oceans as far as the tuna stock goes. But uh, oh, one time I was coming back and one of the roadhouses, I can remember, they were sick of feeding the transport drivers steak and eggs, so I dropped them off a tuna and came back about 10 days later and they said they fed every truckie for a week on tuna and then gave the rest a, a decent burial out the backyard. How <laughs> yeah, big they were. Good to talk to you, Macca, and God bless you, mate. While I'm here, just God bless the uh, Civil Aviation Associates already, mate. OK, over and out, mate. lie back in bed The city, the scrub, and the farmer in the pub They love it all over Australia There's a radio show that Australians all know If you're rich or you ain't got a cracker They tell stories so grand of this vast timeless land and they call it Sunday with Macca They all call it Sunday with Macca Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca Get on with it, Macca Good morning and welcome to the program. That was Artie, Artie Rolston, who rang us when we were doing our program at Oak Valley Stroke Maralinga in 2002 or three, I think it was, and Artie rang us and he'd done all sorts of things. In, in fact, he was also an aircraft engineer. That's why he said, God bless the, the Aircraft Safety uh, Authority. But um, yeah, salmon over and pe- oh, no, peas over and salmon back. He's Yeah, it was great talking to Artie. Lots of uh, cards, beautiful. This is from Jocelyn. Lovely little card, lovely stamp. Thanks for the interesting program. The monkeys last week made me laugh. She said, but that's for crocodiles. We as little kids swam in the Norman River, that's in Queensland, until we went spotting one night. (laughs) They went spotting one night in a boat and then they saw all the ice and they realised they'd been swimming for years with their dog as well as little kids in the river with all those crocs. Must have been plenty of barrarians, says Jocelyn. <laughs> Free phone boxes, no longer serviced. They probably are, I don't know. I could hear, but my sister in Tasmania couldn't when she rang from Queensland to, um, there you go. Good day, this is Macca. Hello, I'm Alyssa Hocking. Good day, Alyssa. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm good. What's happening? What are you doing? I'm just in the car up to Grassy Head with my dad and brother. Yeah. And we're going to go dead sea fishing. Oh, wow. What sort of a day have you got? Is the weather okay? Oh, it's amazing. A couple of clouds in the sky, sunrise, looks looks amazing, offshore breeze. Offshore breeze, sound like a real um, professional. Alyssa, tell me the the story. So you're going deep sea fishing, dad and brother. You've done this before, Alyssa, of, of course, have you? Uh, 
No, this is my first time. My oh. dad, my pop, I mean my pa and uncle and my brother have done this many times before. My first time, so I can't wait. Yeah, that'll be good. How old are you, Alyssa? I'm 13. Now tell me the school story for Alyssa. What's been happening with school, mate? Uh, not much. <laughs> Just having to wear a mask, so playing with my friends. You've been going to school? or? Uh, yeah. Well, that's good. So where's uh, yeah. where are you near Grassy? I've been to Grassy Head National Park somewhere. Um, I remember some time ago. Um, when I say some time ago, about ten years ago, fifteen years ago, I went to Grassy Head. Tell everybody where Grassy Head is. So Grassy Head is probably in between Kempsey and Maxville. Yep. And probably an hour's drive from Port. So what sort of fish do you reckon you're going to catch today? What do you catch out there? How far off the, the coast do you go? I'm not sure how far we go off the coast, but well, I hope we get a fish. Yeah, it's exciting, Alyssa. Now, what are you going to do with yourself when you, you know, finish school and all that sort of? Have you thought about that, Alyssa, or are you just taking a day at a time? Uh, I've only just started thinking about it. Not that much, but I probably might head off, maybe travel somewhere. Or yeah, there's I all... like teaching, yeah. or just like teaching students. Yeah, that's good. I um, yeah hobbies. I, yeah, well, and I, you have a good experience too with teachers at school. So, yeah, I think it's great to be great to teach, and uh, so uh, there you go. So, who's that talking in the background, yeah. Alyssa? Oh, that's my dad trying to <laughs> be funny. He's a, G'day, mate. He's a bit of a motor mouth, is he, Alyssa? Yeah. Yeah, we're just staring each other up here in the car, having a bit of a laugh. So. So what sort of what sort of a boat have you got? Uh, uh, the in-laws have got like a sort of six metre um, outside aluminium boat, yeah, plate aluminium boat. So and it's a good and it's a good day for fishing, quite. Um, oh, yeah, it's cracking. It's yeah, offshore and you know light breeze and um, sun. We've had a week of good rain and wind, and now it's yeah fined up. So not much swell. Uh, sorry, what's your name? My, no, my name is Ashley. Oh, g'day, Ash. Um, you don't mind if I call you Ash, do you? Uh, no, that's what I, I always—it's a—it's a family habit in us. We all either lengthen names or you know give people other names yeah. or shorten uh, them or long you know. Uh, nah, for sure. <laughs> um, we've we've tried to ring Macro a couple of times on the way to a surf with the kids, but yeah, we just want to give a shout out to Mum, Haley, and Nan and Pop, and all and everyone who's probably listening. So. You got Lincoln in the back who's a bit embarrassed to be on radio. Yeah, I bet he is. Yeah. How old's Lincoln? Link, how old are you, mate? Eleven. Eleven, yeah, you get embarrassed. Parents embarrass you, Link. Yeah, they'll, they'll embarrass you. And sisters embarrass you too, Link. That all always happens. Oh yeah. So just just yeah, just gotta wear it, mate. Um that's the story. So where's home, Ash? Uh Port Macquarie. Port Macquarie, all right, okay. Well you'll have a lovely day. Enjoy that. That'll be a great day, mate. Yeah, we will for sure. So yeah, you have a good day too. And if you catch we'll a, if you catch a, and, yeah. if you catch a flathead, um, that'll make the whole day worthwhile. Flathead, beautiful fish. Yeah, yeah, oh, well, yeah kingfisher, hopefully. All <laughs> oh, right. Well, they're big, aren't they? They're a big fish. Yeah, so yeah, that'd be good. All right. Good on you. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, yeah thanks, you Maggie. Good on you. See ya. See ya, Alyssa. Bye. Bye. See you, Link. See ya. Bye. James is in Hobart. Good morning, James. Good morning. How are we doing? Yeah, good, thank you. What's happening? Good. 
Oh, we've got a beautiful day here today. The sun's just coming up. We've got a light northwest wind, and uh, we're off to work to do a bit of diving. Uh, what sort of, oh, well, Alyssa just ran. They were going deep sea fishing. What uh, What are you doing, James? Tell me about the diving. Uh, we've got a um, special permit to go and catch seaweed to um, to feed to livestock to break down methane emissions. I see. So we've got there's a there's a, a, um, there's a seaweed here that lives in Tasmania called Asparagopsis, and it's uh, we feed it to cattle and it breaks down ninety eight percent of uh, methane emissions. There you go. Um, and whereabouts in, in Tassie are you doing this, uh, James? Uh, we're down in Hobart, so we're just on the road at the moment. We're just travelling down to Port Arthur for the day. I see. So it's down off the coast of Port Arthur. Yeah, it's quite. It lives, it lives quite quite close to the shore, um, in about four to five metres of water, and we would probably get uh, hundred kilos for the day. Well, wow. and what's the uh, what's the chemical reaction that does that, uh, James? That's that, it's bromoform. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a new thing. It's um, There's a bit of a gold rush on it at the moment, but um, we're getting good, getting great results from it, and uh, I think it's going to be good good for everyone and good for climate change for the future. And the cattle like it? Well, they seem to, yeah. <laughs> they're feeding around about 5,000 cattle at the moment, and they're trying to ramp that up to about 40,000 cattle by March. So what, you just give them a certain amount and a bit like a salt lick, and they uh, like it? Yeah, it's uh, two two percent. All right, two percent of their feed is is the seaweed. There you go. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and I wonder yeah. what, how long has that been known about, James? Oh, uh, this sort of research has been going on for years, but it's sort of been put into commercial harvest uh, volume. Sorry for uh, probably the last uh, last six to eight months, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And tell me, what do you you obviously well you go diving yourself? You're a diver. Yeah, I've been a diver all my life for about twenty years, and um, I've been diving for abalone. But this is a this is a bit of a new thing at the moment, so we're sort of transitioning a little bit out of abalone into um, into seaweed. And of course, you wear a wetsuit. Yeah, nine mils. So it's, the water's pretty cold down here at the moment. Looking, you know, so it's eight, so about eight degrees. So it's, it's um, pretty it's, fresh. It's always pretty cold. You mean at the moment? It's all. And whenever I've been in the water in Tassie, it's I think. Oh. This is cold. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Absolutely. Very refreshing. So, James, what do you see, uh, apart from seaweed, when you go under the water? What do you see? Is it interesting? I bet it is. Yeah, it is interesting. You, got, you, haven't, got a, you haven't got a big variety of colours. Um, a lot of browns, a lot of brown seaweed here and reds and uh, lots of fish life. So you've got parrotfish, crayfish, abalone. Uh, you see the odd kingfish that comes in um, at certain times of the year. Uh, big stingrays. Um, they're lovely. Yeah, not a, not a, not like tropical. It's not like a tropical diet, but it's not you know not a big variety of fish, but it is pretty. Oh, under the sea is just beautiful. I mean, like a stingray. I love stingrays. The way they just glide and they're just they're just beautiful. Just yeah, a- yeah. We're we're quite lucky here today. So we've just got into hard lockdown down in Hobart. So we've had our first case in over a year, so we've got a special permit to be able to go and do this, so we feel quite privileged to be on the road. There's not many people out here today. Oh, that's good. James, good on you. Um, I'll see you sometime. And You're based in Hobart, are you? Yeah, we're down in Hobart. And what's the seaweed called again? Asparagopsis. Asparagopsis, as in asparagus, yep. sort of, eh? Asparagopsis? Yeah, yeah, that, that would be the best way to pronounce it, yep. <laughs> All right, James, good on you. And you got a good weather for it? Yeah, it's beautiful here. Yep, lovely.
still no wins. Perfect. Nice to talk to you, James. Good on you. Thanks, Matt. You take care. See, See you, you, mate. Bye. Rosie's in Stanthorpe. Morning, Rosie. Oh, good morning, Maka. How are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. So I'm ringing to tell you all about our arts trail. It's on for the third year in a row on the 29th to the 31st of October. Uh, we've got 21 venues this year, ranging from wineries to jam making to cheese making to breweries and all everything in between with our small halls. Uh, from 10 to 4 every day, it's an engagement event, so you get to put your hands in the clay and make something through right. the jewellery. It's amazing. So this is at the end of October, Rosie, is that right, in Stanthorpe? Yeah. Yes, that's right, from Friday through till Sunday. And you, um, It's an annual event. And you haven't been locked down there in Stanthorpe, have you, at all? So you don't know. We, the, go on. No, we have freedoms here that others haven't. We've been very, very lucky. You don't know how lucky, Rose. You don't know how lucky. Uh, I think I, well, listening to some of my friends in Melbourne, I, I kind of understand that it's been very difficult for a lot of others. Yeah, I'll say. So, Rosie, mm. Rosie, what do you do? Are you an artist or a... Um, yeah, I'm an artist, but I also work for one of the big um, veggie growers here. All right. Tell me so, more. Yes. Well, uh, well, we supply um, all the green leafy veggies to some of the big supermarket chains here. Good on you. And I'm also a fine artist and an artistic therapist. So this whole event come about because of the we had no water, we had droughts. So trying to create some economic uplift from the amazing talent that's around. Yep. Um, and the drought's broken. So we do have – it's green, it's beautiful. We have had some hail. But we also have a very vibrant, very talented community. So we'll we'll get through this one as well. Yeah, that's good. And, and you, you'll be just about uh, gearing up for nectarines and peaches and all that sort of thing on the uh, yeah, around your place, won't you? Around Stanthorpe. Yeah, that's right. We have stone fruit. We have apples. We have veggies. Um, the cherries probably will come in about the same weekend. We open to the arts trail, so cherries the first stone fruit in October, and then through to Christmas we have uh, apricots, beautiful apricots, and well, some of the older varieties. You can buy. You can still buy direct from the farm in some places. In fact, farm tours are very popular at the moment, so you can go and sit in the blossoms with your picnics and oh, things like that. I hope I can get across the border soon because I'd love to. Yes, please come. <laughs> If you're an essential worker, you're allowed. I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm an essential. I think I am. Um, Rosie, uh, <laughs> I was, was going to say, did you have a – because um, people I talk to, growers, you know, growing uh, stone fruit or cherries especially, say if you have a cold winter, it's all, all the better. Have you had a cold winter in Stansall? Because you can get cold here, can't you? Oh, yeah. We, we had sleep literally three weeks ago. It's, it's been unusually cold um, this late. Not cold enough sometimes because the trees aren't resting as well. The older varieties need a bit colder rest. Um, but at the moment, um, everything's just looking wonderful. I think I'd like to talk to you sometime, Rosie, because you're an artistic therapist. Then, <laughs> when you just spoke, <laughs> then I thought, yeah, this is an artistic therapist talking here. Um, <laughs> resting trees and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, all very interesting. Yeah, Rosie. no, that, well, they need the cold to go to sleep properly, you know, so yeah. the fat flows down. And, and uh, But when they wake up, it's so pretty. Yeah, well, a Victorian cherry grower told me that, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago about the cold and, mm. you know, how, how it needs. Uh, the colder it is in the winter, the better it is for the fruit. 
Well, some of the more modern varieties probably aren't as um, particular about that, thankfully, because things have changed a little since I've lived here my whole life. Well, I was born here, but um, the varieties are very different now from they were 50 years ago. Yeah, and and I think it's the same with oranges. They say you shouldn't pick the oranges until you get the first frost and just uh, that snap cold just uh, sets the oranges and then they're ready for picking. So, yeah, we need the hot, we need the cold, don't we? Mm, mm. Well, we get all the four seasons here, which is wonderful. It's lovely. Good on you, Rosie. 31st, uh, 29th to the 31st, the Art Trail in Stanthorpe, be there, be square. Good on you. Yeah, thank you. Good on you. Bye. G'day, Naka. This is Guy from Mumbok, formerly from Bangkok. I used to ring you from Bangkok occasionally every now and again. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, Guy, how long have you been back from Bangkok? That was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I, we'd been living there for nine years. We got back uh, in July. It took us a bit of time to get back, obviously, through this COVID side of things. But, yeah, we're back and happy and uh yeah, I'm just sitting on the back deck having a cuppa, enjoying the fresh air of Mumbolk, looking at the tree ferns and the mesmate and the mountain ash in, in the fern gully below us. It's uh, it's good to be back. Good to be back home. <laughs> good to be. I'll bet it is. How, when did you come back, did you say? Uh, July. We managed to get back through the whole quarantine and trying to find a flight. Uh, we were one of the, those lucky ones. We, were, we could afford it uh, to get back. But, um, yeah. Yeah, we managed to do that after nine years living in Asia. So yeah, it's uh, it's good to finally see family and friends for we hadn't seen for almost two years. Though we're in lockdown now at the moment, but hopefully that'll finish up in this next week as uh, Victoria yeah that's moves a, that, moves out a, of lockdown. And like everywhere in the yeah. world, I suppose Bangkok's been turned on its head by COVID. Yeah, it had it. Um, Ah, it it really had. And and people were, yeah, I'd say only one in every three shops uh, was open in the big city and uh, it wasn't the same city it was that we moved to nine years ago. But, um, yeah, actually, I'm ringing today um, to talk about, uh, I'd love to talk about mental health and and a good mate of ours, Sam McMahon, that was from Bangkok. Mm -hmm. Um, If I can give a little tribute to him. If that's okay, in light of Mental Health Day last Sunday and Mental Health Week. Sure. What's what's the story? Um, yeah, Sam, Sam, wonderful guy. He, uh, yeah, he was in Bangkok with us, and he was he loved listening to Macca. Uh, we we share stories about the truckies and the farmers, and you know, yeah, expats that would ring in, we'd chat and different things about that, but. Um, yeah, he, him and his beautiful wife, Katie, they were our glue for all our crew. Um, they'd get us together and, you know, any new Aussies that lobbed in town, they would uh, make them feel welcome and show them the ropes of Bangkok as expat life. Um, yeah, he was a wonderful listener and connector and fantastic dad, um, good old Sam. Um, he loved coming home to the farm at Bellingang and Geelong. Um, and we'd share stories all the time between us mates. Um, we lost Sam earlier this year uh, to a struggle uh, with mental health. We were all not aware. He struggled in silence. He, they'd come back to Australia. Um, I think he struggled with the lockdowns and the remoteness and the isolation 
during that period. But um, last Friday, the 15th, was his birthday, and we decided to get all the crew back together. Um, and uh, we were all over 10 couples, Bangkok, Melbourne, Singapore, Dubai, Samui, San Francisco, Chicago. We all got together and online, as you do these days, and shared a toast to Sam and his family. And I'd just like to encourage, you know, a lot of the messages we were sharing was uh, encourage, if you haven't heard from a mate or you haven't heard you know, from a friend in a while, especially during these times, pick up that phone, you know, say g'day, how you going, you know, go out for a coffee or a beer when things relax and uh, yeah, don't take it for granted, things are okay. I think it's too many people are lost, uh, too many good people are lost like Sam and I encourage everybody to, to get out there and say g'day to a mate, um, especially you know, as we're getting closer to Christmas. I think it's really important. Uh, in rural communities where it can be isolated at times, it's okay. a gr- I think it's it's a great message, guy. Um, uh, you know, too too much of us take all that for granted, and it's it's funny, isn't it? A couple of my friends um, have done that, rung me, and and I think they've rung me because they're going into hospital for fairly serious operations, and they've just rung up. But you know, you shouldn't. <laughs> Shouldn't need to have an operation coming up to to ring your friends and say, you know, look, I think one of them says, um, you know, thought he mightn't come out of it, so that's why he rang me. But, but I think just generally, yeah, you should ring. I'm I'm always telling friends. I try to ring people all the time, but you know, and sometimes they look a bit bewildered and think, why are you ringing me? Um, you know what I mean. But um, it's a great message, guy, and it's it's the only thing that really sticks us together. And. Uh, yeah, talking to people. That's the, that's what we, you know, I think this technological world sometimes interferes with all that. And, yeah, we've just got to remember we're still human beings and what all that means. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It, it's so easy but so hard at times, isn't it? You know, just uh, so easy to pick up a phone or to get online, but we don't. And I, I think, yeah, you have to make that special effort every now and again uh, to those loved ones and those people that you really care for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, we, you know, for so long, you know, to go down to the local footy club or the RSL or, uh, you know, haven't been able to do that over these times, you know, where you'd normally catch up and have a no. beer or a coffee or say good day. So, and you get yeah, out of the habit, you get out of the habit of it too. You know, when you get something like this that happens and people are getting locked down, you just get out of the habit of that. Now, I, I also think, you know, it's nice to be, you know, on your own and, you know, be able to live on your own and, do you know what I mean? It's nice to be able to be comf- yeah. comfortable in your own existence, but that's not what we're about as human exactly. beings. And and you get it. I think you get out of the the habit of it. That's the that's the worst part about this. And the other thing I was thinking the other day, won't it be interesting to read the book or books, or the the wash up of all this what we've gone through, the world's gone through in the last two years, and maybe it'll be another year or whatever, um, to read the wash up and about what happened and and how we reacted and you know, um, the lessons learned. It'll be most interesting. Um, but um, I think we, we sort of know. And, Too um, true. And one of the things is I think you get out of the habit of, of getting in touch with people because you can't. So and you can ring them and you can't say, you can ring them, but you can't say, oh, look, I'll see you because you can't get out of your thing. And that's especially for people in New South Wales and Victoria it's been. And yeah. and then, you know, people ring me from Queensland or from, you know, somewhere else where they're all mucking around and, Living without COVID and 
I just yeah, just sigh yeah. and say, well, we'll get yeah. on with it, Guy. Guy, what were you doing in, in yeah. Bangkok? What did you do over there? I was um, I was a travelling salesman, glorified travelling salesman. So oh. Bangkok was our base, and I'd travel the world. I used to ring you every now and again. I'd, I I love running, so I, sometimes I'd ring you from Sao Paulo in Brazil or or uh, from Europe, and I'd, I'd listen to you either on the podcast or Crazy Times. And yeah, I was packaging sales guy, so that was that was my gig. Um, Sam Sam worked Sam worked for Bluescope. He was a general manager and marketing guy for Bluescope, you know, Australian big steel guy in yep. Asia. So yeah, we all had all of us had different jobs through the region but yeah I, I, I love that And but the last 18 months couldn't travel so it's, it was an opportunity to come home and I'm still working for the same mob but remotely <laughs> um, at the moment it's a, a funny old world so I'm still dealing with India and Brazil and Europe and United States sitting here on my back deck looking at the forest <laughs> sitting in Mombok so um, it's it's a lot different now. It's seven degrees sitting on my back deck versus twenty nine degrees in Bangkok or or Buenos Aires. So yeah, it's a funny old life, but it's it's good. It's good. Guy, I see you in Mombok yeah. sometime. Lovely to talk to you, mate. Maka, Maka, can I do a cheerio? Yeah, just go. To our bangers crew. Um, just say a big g'day to the Bellinghams, Wallies, Reddings, True Ks, Robinsons, Michelles, Thornhills, and Shields, and the McMahon clan of Bellingham and Geelong. We think of you all the time. So, um, yeah, love to you all and take care. Thanks, Guy. Cheers, Macca. See you, mate. Bye. This is the All Over News. If you forget your past, you've got Alzheimer's. So said author Ray Parkin to me some years ago and I thought of his words recently because of the renewed interest in nuclear as a power source and I thought of 2002 when our program was invited to Maralinga by the Alangu people and as part of the Adelaide Festival of that year. I'm not sure if you mentioned to people the word Maralinga, which means thunder, that you'd get a response about what happened there in the 50s. I think at least 12 atomic tests. I'll take you back there to our program in 2002 on the edge of the Great Victoria Desert, named by explorer Ernest Giles after Queen Victoria, Great Victoria, as he called her. When I listen back to this program, I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to meet people like Archie Barton and Chris Dodds and to share them with you. You'll hear their story in a moment. But first, meet Lynette Walworth. She was Associate Director of the Adelaide Festival that year and explains why the festival, which is usually centres around the city of Adelaide, went up to Maralinga. Lynette Walworth. I thought we should do something that was looking at Maralinga and that part of our history, mostly because I think no one in Australia's got any idea about this country, how beautiful it is. Most people, they don't know where that is or anything about it. The fact that it has such a such a place in Australian history in terms of uh, atomic bombs. And it's amazing to think of that you could actually let off... You could never do that now, could no. you, David? You could never say, look, we want to let a few bombs off. There's plenty of room out there. Can we just do that, please? <laughs> it's just not... I mean, you can't smoke in offices now. I mean, let alone let bombs off. It's oh, just amazing. It's just, just amazing. Sorry. <laughs> 
sorry, Lynn, I interrupted. No, no. Good point. No, it is. It's really, it is really peculiar. And when you're sitting here and you see how beautiful it is, it's even more peculiar. Yeah. That's really incredible. And when I started to say to people, oh, I think that we should do something about Maralinga, actually what I saw in people's eyes was fear. People looked afraid because there's only one image if people have got an image um, when you say Maralinga, and that's mushroom cloud. I don't even think most people realise that there is a community here, that there's traditional um, owners of this land who live here. But it was kind of a big ask to explain that to the Adelaide Festival Association, that we should do something with a community that's one of the most remote in the country. But I just started talking with Archie, and um, he said to me, well, you're going to have to come out and meet the community and ask them. So I drew up pictures of what the Adelaide Festival was, and what we wanted to do and they got sent up to the store and they stayed in the store for a couple of weeks before we got here. Then we came up and talked to the community and said, how would you like to be involved in that? They said they'd think about it. So we came back about four months later and four months later people said to us, oh, we want to paint. <laughs> we want to paint big pictures. The older people said, we want to paint big pictures. We want to paint the country, but we need somewhere to paint and we need someone to show us how to put the paint on the canvas, how to use the materials. So it wasn't like, you know, showing a style. It was just show us the know-how yeah. and then we'll, we'll do it. Do the rest. But, you know, that's, they needed space to work in and that's where Alison came in. So the, the, the artwork has been in Adelaide, but we've yeah. got some stills of it here. And, yeah. and I can't... It's like a bit like walking around a, an art gallery and explaining the, the paintings on radio. You can't do it. But mm. just... Uh, some of the stories, one of the stories that, that uh, you've got in one of those paintings there, what, what's that sort of depict? Yeah, Sonny Pepper explained this one to me because this was painted lands, got people, people worked in um, groups or couples or, you know, so they worked around big tables and this painting um, was done by about six people, I think, and it's, it's got a, um, a mushroom cloud in the, in the foreground and the, the left side of that is just all these white dots. But behind it is a kangaroo, and the kangaroo's head is pointing to the bottom of the painting. And when they printed this one in the Australian, they printed it upside down. <laughs> no, sideways. <laughs> because, of course, you think, well, that kangaroo's head must go up the top. But when you look at the kangaroo, in fact, you can see um, there's a cross on its eye. Its eye's not open. And there's the alimentary tract, and there's two organs. And in the last organ are the same dots that are in the mushroom cloud. So Sunny Pepper explained to me, you know, that these dots, that radiation goes in him, goes through those organs, and then he lay down, and then he can't get up again. And that's what happened to the animals out here, you know, and that affects everything. Food, every, every layer then of life is affected after that. There's another one here, it's a map. Mm. And um, in that map is a railway line in the middle. That's where the railway goes. And down here you've got... Yalata, Uldia, where people were taken to, Watson, and then Maralinga, Oak Valley, and Chunjunjara. And it's got people's footprints moving all around, and it's really showing then, you know, people having to keep moving, people being removed and having to keep moving. I've got Chris Dodds with me. Chris, uh, where are you from? My family's from Mari, in Aminka way. My father's uh, Arabana, my mother was uh, Dairy. Uh, Dairy people are from the Coobus Creek region. Yeah, between Enemenka and Lake Eyre. Uh, Arabana people from Lake Eyre region, North Udnadatta, Fink. The Didge, how long have you been playing that? Probably about four years, I guess. Taught by a non-Aboriginal fella in Port Pirie when I was doing some project work there with the Aboriginal community. Oh, he gave me about an hour's lesson and about a week after I was playing it, just not bragging or anything, but <laughs> it just come to me natural. I think it's a good instrument and 
it's um, well used in a lot of areas now and it's a good way to use in reconciliation for people. Chris, what's your role up here? Uh, I work as a land management officer, doing land management, land care projects with the community, working with the elders and the younger people, encouraging young people to get involved in land care projects and setting up traineeships and that for the young people here. Walk with me for a minute over here because I, I wanted to ask you about this tree over here which is in this little area where we are this morning. What's that there? That's a salt bush. It's big for salt bush. How big? The old fella or the bush? Well, both. No, the, the bush. There's an old bloke sitting next to it. <laughs> yeah, I can see you're a comedian and a musician as well. Yeah. I grew up in Broken Hill, I guess. That's where, yeah, where I get a lot of this from, I suppose. This salt bush here we're using up here for you know, land care projects to stop the dust and you know, revegetation areas. Yeah, just to stop the traffic from going through and give the other vegetation a chance to grow. But it's a good windbreak for people who want to camp around and that sort of thing there. How old were you when you lived in Broken Hill? Well, I grew up in Broken Hill. Went to primary school out at Silverton. Went to high school at Broken Hill. I was fortunate enough to be in a film there. The, the Fabulous Hill, early 60, 61, 62, around there. I've been hoping to try and catch up with that film because I'd, I'd like to see myself riding a little push bike again when I was a little boy. It was called The Fabulous Hill. Is it any good? Well, I haven't seen it, so <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know. The other thing uh, that people should realise is that with the Maralinga land, I mean, it's 60-something thousand square kilometres. And, I mean, there's always a lot of talk about the Maralinga bombs in it. I mean, you look at that on a map and the area where the, where the bombs went off, it's only just like a little pinpoint compared to the, the size of the Maralinga land itself. So we've got a lot of land to look after in care of, you know, in, in the line of land management and land care. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Thanks for your digs playing. just want to um, apologise. I didn't change the gears with the, the Toyota when I did the noise with the dig. I only just kept in one gear, so... Oh, you can do gear changing? Oh, I can do a bit of... It's only three gears, but... That's the early model Toyota's only had three forwards, so... Please thank Chris Dodd, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> We're in Oak Valley this morning. My guest is Archie Barton. Archie, it's nice to be up here and be with you here in Oak Valley. Thanks very much, and I think the pleasure is, uh, is on behalf of the community having you here. Somebody asked me whether we can get an appropriate person up here, and I spoke about a couple of other people, but I said... What about we try Mac on Sunday? So here we are here sitting around Oak Valley community. I think it's uh, something for the giving the pride back to the community that was more or less taken away in the, in the 1950s when they moved from Uldia. So it's a pleasure having you and uh, everyone here today. Mate, it's, uh, it's great to be here, Archie, and great to talk to you and, and meet the people of the community, which I hope to do. It's Archie Barton. Tell people how you got the name Barton, your, your surname. Well, I think uh, I was taken away from all here when I was in 1940, 41, 42, by welfare at the time. I was five-year-old and my sister was two. We was taken to Port Augusta, put in a home there. I remember my first experience of wearing shorts. I kept taking it off because I couldn't wear shorts. And then all the kids are saying, oh, he's a dirty boy, isn't he? Look at him there, he's a dirty boy. Because all I was used to walk around with their long shirt, no trousers, no shorts. So my experience when I first was taken there to Yamiwara Mission, that I ran there right to the trucking yards in, at Port Augusta. And all the oldest homeboys chased me in there. One of them was, uh, he's still around, I think, Raymond Winfield that carried me on his piggyback all the way back to the mission. And you were called Barton because... Well, the history goes, when we was taken away, we didn't have a date of birth or anything because we 
born out in the desert here and uh, we didn't buy uh, born in a hospital so when the welfare's picked me up they said we're going past Barton siding and I got the name Barton and named after and of course those sightings are named after our Prime Minister and Edmund Barton was our first Prime Minister in fact he had his nickname was Toby Tosspot this is Edmund Barton the first Prime Minister and he was called that because he liked to drink and I'm not telling tales out of school when to say that you used to like a drink is that right Arch? Well uh, one of my experience I've been a shearer for 22 years and uh, to be part of a shearing team if you didn't drink you was out on your own so you had to learn how to lift the old flagon up or bottle so I had 22 years of it and it's been a hard road but uh, I think when you come to realise that when you've been taken away that you never ever see your mother again or your family until 1982 when a job was advertised at Yalata I could never forget the date it was 19th of September 1982 when I came to Yalata and worked as a project officer really speaking I didn't know what a project officer does that was in December 82. In January 85, I became the community advisor then. And I suppose one of the main issues that I walked into was the, the issue the old men wanted to get back to their land, Maralinga. And, and that's when I started uh, doing a lot of negotiation. And the two gentlemen, so I got here, they're lawyers, and they have been part of that old exercise right throughout the whole 17 years of Maralinga. And I'm talking to Archie Barton. Just tell me what it means, I suppose, how it restores pride to this community and what's happened uh, in the, you know, before that. I, I took a delegation to London twice. Our second trip, we decided to take some eight kilos of soil sample over. And people still ask the question, how did you do it? I said, oh, there are ways to do things. And we found a way and we copied the British government when they'd done the Brumby clean-up. So we got it over there. And what was the reaction when you arrived with that? We wasn't dealing with Lord Aaron. We were leading with this, dealing with a young Lord, uh, Lord Cranbourne. And the interesting part with him, he was a jackaroo on a station out in Queensland. So it gave us a better focus on, he knew what we was on about and things. And when we say the light at the end of the tunnel, that's when it came. But he did ask, did you, you did bring a present for me. Where are they? I said, if you looked in by your feet, your secretary just dumped eight little bags there alongside your feet. That's your present, and that was the soils. Arch, that's a pointed little... What sort of a little present is that? I'm talking to Archie Barton. It's great for us to be here. I'm sure that people around Australia, when we go to a place like this, I always imagine people sitting at home in their suburban house or in a, even in a home unit or, where, or out in an isolated station somewhere, but long, we're a long way from anybody here except our little community that's here. That's why I like to run around and talk to lots of people. And uh, Archie here, of course, was born under a tree in the Great Victoria Desert. Archie said something to me the other day, if money buys your friends, then I got none. Is that your sort of story, is it, Archie? It is a true story. After I gave the drink away, after 22 years being an alcoholic, I went into a hotel in Port Adelaide and there were a couple of my old drinking mates that we used to drink on the riverbanks and things. I went in there to see somebody and there... That person offered a squash, so I took the squash. But my two mates pushed a pint glass towards me and said, fill it up, brother. And I said, look, I'm not here drinking with you. I'm drinking with this chap. He's good enough to shout me a squash. If I shout anybody, I better have to shout him. And their question was, 
if you don't feel that you're no friend of mine, and that's how I come up with, this is a, a book of Yalata people giving away the grog, and I've got a story in there, if money buy friends, then I've got none, and that's, that's what that was all over. Archie, thanks for having us here, it's been uh, great to be here, I'll come back, I'm sure I'll come back. Butcher's in the phone box, I think. Morning, Butch. Hello, Maka. Yep. Where are you? Yeah, Maka, it's Butch. I'm at Talgoa in Victoria. In a... Fu- 75 in... k southwest of Swan Hill. In Talgoa. Wow. And you're in a phone box? Or a phone... Yes. Not a... a public phone box. In this little town is pretty quiet. There's only 101 people here, but it's, there's nothing much happening. There's only a pub. <laughs> but I'm travelling in a motorhome and... Um, I stayed here overnight, and I went to the pub about quarter to six last night, and there's a, I was the only one in there. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then um, I, end, I ended up having a couple of beers just to support them, and then they do take away meals. So I got a pizza and took it back home. But by the time I left, there was a couple of other people turned up. But there's only about six of us, eight of us in there. That was all. But it's sad. Yeah, but if you'd have told them you were coming, Butch, and you said, look, I'll be in the pub at uh, Colgoa from uh, 6 o'clock, you might, there might have been a crowd come and say good day. Yeah. You never know. But the other thing I'm mainly ringing for, Macca, is um, there's a little notice. I've been walking around the town yesterday and there's a little plaque in the town and um, <laughs> the different things that happened over the years. But in 1919, 58,000 mice were caught in one night here. <laughs> That's a lot of mice. Two and a half ton in one night. Yeah, and we can. Yeah, well, there was a, there was a great to do, of course, because the media is always looking for a story uh, with the mice plague. But uh, that's uh, that's probably a record, I'd say. Fifty eight thousand. How the how, who who counted them? That's what I want to know, Butch. <laughs> I would never clue. It wasn't me. <laughs> I wasn't around then, maker. No, so yeah, but it was. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? Like fifty-eight thousand in one night. So imagine how many all up there see, was. Colgoa, <laughs> see, that's yeah, that's a kind of Now, Butchie, it's where are you from? Where are you from? I'm travelling in my motorhome. I'm from Victoria, Yarra Valley. Uh huh. Victoria, and, but I'm travelling full time in my motorhome. And how long you been do- around little towns, helping them out a bit? <laughs> yeah, what you do a job here and there, and no, 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 I'm retired. Just I'm a grey nomad, just poking around. Oh, when you say you're helping them, you mean by spending some money in the pub and stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good on you. So hey, how... the other thing, Mac is yeah, very yeah. good at this pub. Yeah. There's there's camping beside the pub, and it's a bit wet in there, so I didn't park in there. I parked over the road a bit. But the guy at the pub has got um, pet goats and chooks and all that sort of stuff, and he's made a menagerie for um, the little coats and everything to climb around on. Y- yep. You know, little little kids like jumping up and down and climbing up things, little goats. Yeah. Well, one of the goats is called Mulaney. Yeah. Little boy goat. Little other boy goat's called Barley, and there's another. They're due for another little baby one, and if it's a girl, they're going to call it Canola. Well, I, I'd like to think that's creative, but um, yeah, it sounds uh, sounds a good yeah, idea. But... This is out in the Mallee, like in the cropping area district. Yeah. Um, Butch, tell me how long you been in the phone box? Three quarters of an hour waiting for you. <laughs> Uh, you did, well, we'll send you a book. We've got your number. We'll catch up with you somewhere, and we'll send you one of our books, which was All right, thanks, produced about ten years ago, but it's still relevant. That's uh, yep. yeah. All right, Butchie, good on you. Good luck. Safe travels, thanks mate. Thanks very much. Good talking to you, Maka. Bye. And I noted with sadness that the Queenscliff the other day had its last voyage. Uh, Chris Cowper. 
um, a ferry captain, has been a ferry captain. He's probably steered the Queen's Clip. A sad day, Chris. Good morning. Good morning, Macca. How are you, Marty? Yeah, good. Sad day, really, isn't it? It was terrible. It's uh, quite an emotional day for a lot of people, but uh, it was an enjoyable day as well in one respect. Did you go? You, you weren't captain on that day. You went for a ride, did you? Oh, yes. Man. My mate Robbie Gawthorne uh, was a skipper on a, on a cruise that we had, and uh, Austin Hart was skipper on the last voyage, a last passenger voyage, um, and his father was actually the first skipper on the thing. But... Uh, yeah, no, I retired a month ago today. So that's why I can talk to the media. Yeah, so um, they're lovely boats too, aren't they? They're just, I don't know. We've we've kept, have they kept some or? Well, they've, we have four. There's Narrabeen, Queenscliff, Freshwater that are almost identical sisters. And then the collar is a bit newer and she's different in a lot of ways. She's a bit of an orphan. But they've decided to keep the Narrabeen because she's just had a big refit and the Collaroy. I don't really know why they're keeping the Collaroy because she's quite different. But mm. they are keeping two, which presents its own problems because they intend to only run them weekends. And the engineers in particular are going to have trouble keeping having enough hours on them to keep their uh, certificates of competency revalidated. Mm. But... Um, yeah, that's just another aside problem, one of many problems. Well, it's like to me, and I'm not involved in the maritime industry, but it just seems to me that they're just part of the scenery. Anyone who lives in Sydney or anyone who's been to Sydney, I mean, that's what people do when they travel to wherever. You know, you go to Melbourne, there's things to do. Oh, we've got to, we've got to go and have a, a, an Italian meal in Carlton. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to go down to St Kilda. We've got to, the things you do... And that's one of the things that anyone who has been told anything about Sydney is to, you know, go to the Opera House, see the bridge and go for a ride on a Manly Ferry. And they're just, they're unique and I don't know why. If I was the Premier, I would have kept them and would have worked and talked to engineers and people around saying, now, how can we keep these and what's the deal? How can we keep these running? Because they are just part of the scene. But, uh, you know... Yeah, that's exactly right, because it's for years the top three tourist icons, as you said, are Manly Ferries, Bridge and, and the Opera House. But apart from the iconic status, uh, the, the tourism attraction, there's nothing that moves a large crowd like the freshwater class. Uh, in summer, when we run four boats at a time, four Manly boats, we can move 3,000 passengers an hour. Mm. Uh, you, you cannot do that with the small emerald class. The manly boats take 1,100 passengers and we put 1,000 on them. The new ones only take um, 400. Um, in, in summer, with four big boats running, we can't keep up with the crowds on busy days. Unfortunately, due to COVID last year and the bushfires the year before, we've had two very, very slow summers. But the summer before last, we only had one busy day and we had 19 full manly boats in a row. So that's 19 trips in a row that they had to leave passengers behind. Wow. A few years ago, they were leaving so many behind that the company had to buy a semi-trailer load of bottled water to hand out because they were <laughs> worried about people getting dehydrated and the queues were so long at Circular Quay. Wow. But it, so it will only get worse with the smaller boats. Chris, I, I love talking to nautical people. Um, I'm talking to Chris Cowper. He's a former, he's retired now, of um, uh, manly ferry captain. Ever tempted when you're on your run to say, oh, bugger this, and hang a right and go out through the heads and take off? 
Yeah, yeah, only every week, and and we're we're, we're actually uh, trying to get Rob Gawthorne to take the thing down to Cronulla uh, on um, Friday. Oh, sorry, Wednesday, but uh, he wouldn't be in it. He said, "I need the job. <laughs> Needs the job for another another ten or twenty years." <laughs> Chris Coburn, uh, Chris Coburn, I know there's lots of young blokes who would like to uh, a nautical job. They're hard to hard to find. How did you become a uh, a ferry captain. What was the, What was your story? Oh, gee, I, I, I worked at uh, Church Point on the small ferries and barges there, and I didn't want to go to the harbour because it was a rat race. And I suppose I eventually went there because there's more money, and uh, I loved it. I've worked at worked at the ferries 29 years this time, but since 1984, I've worked there 11 times. Um, I, I just kept going back, but yeah, no, I really do love it. Uh, you never get tired of going up Sydney Harbour, you know, and people will tell you that from all over. You know, you on the ferry, you know, you go past, oh, there's Pinch Garden, the, you know, um, the Opera House. You come under, you know, look at the bridge. It's just fabulous. And then you come to, and you go across the heads. And 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 as I said, I took the little ease and they're screaming, you know, and when there was a bit of a swell on and the spray's coming over and, oh, it's just like a ride on the, you know, the... The you know the roller coaster it was just fantastic, lovely thing. Yeah, no, and the, the harbour changes every day, but um, uh, these, these ferries uh, have probably got another thirty to forty years left in them if they're maintained properly. So what are and, they? What and, are they doing with the Queens? What happens to that now? What happens to the Queenscliff? Well, uh, people talk about uh, getting it taken out and sunk as a dive wreck, but that would cost five to six million dollars to prepare. I don't know that they're going to have much success selling them overseas because they're designed for our specific task and you need deep, lots of deep water for them because because they have a propeller and a, and a rudder at the front. If you just touch a sandbar, it's millions of dollars. Well, we don't have that problem in Sydney. Mm. Um, and to, to cut them up would probably, I don't know, but it probably would cost $3 million. Or four million. Yeah. If I, um, I, I think the answer is um, ultimately to electrify them. Yeah. Uh, repower them with electric motors. There's a guy called um, I'm trying to think of his name, Andrew Westwood, has written a great paper on electrification of the Manly Ferries. We, we've got naval architects in Belrose on the northern beaches called Incrat Crowther that designed electric ferries all over the world. So, you know, it ain't rocket science to turn these things to electric boats and they run for 40 years with minimum cost. Well, they have a new Premier in New South Wales, apparently. Maybe the new Premier could, you know, make his mark on things by, um, yeah, turning a few things around. But, you know, we'll wait We'll wait well, and see what happens. Yeah, well, well, the Transport Minister is our local, uh, Rob Stokes is our local member here and he's not a bad bloke. So um, maybe. people are writing to Rob Stokes. And maybe he'll, he'll really look at it, yeah. Good on you. Uh, yeah. Lovely. To, All right, Macca. Lovely, lovely to talk to you, um, uh, Chris, and uh, I'll see you on a ferry sometime. <laughs> yeah, I know you won't see me, but the other boys will all look after you. No, but I mean, we'll go. I mean, we'll those. just go for a ride. We'll just go for a ride on one, Chris. Oh, one me. Beautiful. <laughs> Good Thanks, on you, mate. Nice to talk Bye. to you. Bye. Bye. Oh, Hugh's back. Hugh, Hugh's on the uh, line. Hugh's in. Where are you at the moment, Hugh? I'm in Norwood, Macca. Uh, hello again. I've just been out to check the rain gauge. and I've been away for two weeks. We've had 52 mils of rain in Adelaide in the past two weeks, about two inches. Pretty good. Ladies and gentlemen, Hugh rang me oh, months and months ago, um, and he was off doing, I forget what he was doing, working, he'd been working with his CSIRO, and he took some time off work to go working, and 
and he's travelling around and he's always got interesting observations. He's just been working uh, with shearing uh, somewhere in the north of South Australia, is that right, and, and working mustering and stuff like that? Yeah, I was on um, Altalpa Station, which is between uh, Manor Hill and O'Leary on the Barrier Highway on the way to Broken Hill there, up in the northeast of South Australia. Uh, we sure about... Oh, about 3,000 3, older wow. sheep and, and crushed some lambs. But they're just getting out a bit of a drought up there at the moment. But uh, we were lucky. We had uh, 10 mils of rain just before shearing started when we were mustering. And then we had another 10 mils or so the day we finished, actually, which is which is great. So we got all the all the sheep shorn and everything everything done. Nothing but, worse uh, than wet, yeah, wet sheep. Nothing worse than wet sheep. Yeah, they, they we actually got the last of the lambs in. And about 10 minutes later, she came down. So we were really lucky. And so it all worked out well. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting, the shearing industry at the moment. It's, it's uh, you know, with the COVID restrictions, we're hard to get teams from New South Wales into that area of South Australia. But we mm. had a team from Borough that, that came out and did it, Dick Islam and his team. They were really good. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's interesting with, with, the, with the, the teams, you know, the, the, the older shearers and trying to get the young young people into the shearing industry and and of course the shearers they can there's a bit of uh, bargaining going on with with the the price per head for for shearing you know they some some producers are paying a bit more to, to get their sheep shorn which is fair enough but uh, you know they've got to be careful with the that, that balance between overpricing and, yeah. and demand so yeah, it's it's uh, and yeah, it's, it's interesting time yeah, and as you said, they used to uh, every shearing team used to have a, a like an apprentice, didn't they? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was part of the award. You know, part of the rules that the if you know for every five shearers, they had to have a have a, a learner shearer, so to speak, um, on the board. But um, I, I I don't know if that rule still applies, but it didn't doesn't seem to. But they, they need to work out some schemes to to get the young people into the industry because there's there's plenty of work out there and. You know, if you if you're not a job snob, as they say, you know, there, there's plenty of work out there. It's just just got to be uh, prepared to do some things, and that's that's part of the reason why I'm doing what I did. You know, hit see where the you know I usually work for the CSIRO, but it's it's interesting to see where the the rubber hits the road, so to speak. You know, like that James who was doing his seaweed down in Tasmania. That's yeah. a CSIRO thing, Future Feed, where where we develop this the technology to. For, for the seaweed to be used as cattle feed. So, do you, do you remember the name? Yeah. Is asparagus? What do you remember the name of it? Asparagus? No, nah, look, I, like, no, no, no. Yeah, like you said, it like, sounds like asparagus. That's it. That'll, asparagus that'll, seaweed, yeah, we'll call yeah, it. That's, yeah, that, that'll do. <laughs> so, look, you 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 decided to take a year off uh, from Syro and and just get around and and just work and see the place. How's that been going? Good. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm on long service leave, so I decided. Uh, so I've been down in the southeast. So I did, did the vintage with Balnaves down in the southeast, and I've been up to the northeast doing shearing. And I've been also been working. In a mate of mine's got a business called Adelaide Petrographics, where they do make thin sections of uh, rock samples from mining companies to put under microscopes to see what they're doing. To right. um, so I've been been working there, working in a in a rug factory of all things. You know, <laughs> natural rugs. They make they make bloody uh, sisal and all these rugs that, that they send all around Australia. So I've been doing that. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, not too long. And I'm, I'm actually, after this, I'm about to start uh, doing a bit of work uh, for Viterra down at, down at Adelaide uh, with the grain harvest, getting ready for the grain harvest. Yeah, it's going to come in, which are, they're expecting a record harvest this year. So she's going to be fairly busy. They're looking for, you know, people to, lots of students do, do the sampling and 
unloading the grain and moving it around. So, yeah. I wish no, I wish I could gather all the young kids who are going to finish year 12 and stuff like that and uni kids to tell them what a marvellous experience it would be, you know, going on the har- on, on the grain trail or the harvest trail or picking fruit or whatever, you know. It, it's, yeah, but... I, I, also, Mac, I think I think it's important for for older people, you know, to get to to see where the like like I work for CSIRO, that there's a lot of technology around the place. But it's interesting to see where the you know the the rubber hits the road, as they say nowadays. You know, to see where the technology and where the where the work is actually practically used, and see all the little things that may or may not work, and get a better idea about what's going on, how how it's all used. So I think I think this should be part of the part of the job job description that, that that you should be have to get out of the out of the offices exactly. and see, see where your work's actually applied yeah, yeah. Try, uh, just change things up a little bit you know they said you know oh, covid's going to change everything well it certainly did but tipped but there was going to be a reset and we're going to do things differently you know and and that's a great idea i've sort of said that before you know get out there and you know it should be part of the whole deal that one year one week or two weeks a year you go and do something different, you know, and and uh, you might get paid. Even, even it, you may not. Even internally within organisations, you should work out of it. You work, with, you know, in a certain area of the ABC or CSIRO, or whatever it is. You should before two weeks a year get out of that your particular area and go and work in a different area and see see how it's done. So you get appreciation of the whole organisation or wherever you're working. Hugh, are you yeah. saying I should get out more? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Go and work in the marketing department, Macca, or something like that. <laughs> Huey, good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you. And uh, no give, give us give us a call when when you're on the yeah, Harvest Trail. Okay, mate. G'day, this is Macca. Yeah, g'day, Macca. It's Max. Hi, Max. Where are you? Yeah, calling calling from Manham in South Australia. Uh huh. I just thought you might like to. Uh, get a little bit of insight to a trip I did just recently on a 124-year-old wooden paddle steamer, side paddler, from Manham up to Wilkadeen, which is just above Renmark in South Australia. Yeah, tell us. Uh, yeah, we took off from Manham, uh, 19 passengers on board and uh, 11 crew and made our way slowly, I might add, because the river at the moment, the Murray, that is, is up and flowing. She's got something like 29,000 megalitres coming into the state at the moment. So wow. we had a reasonable current. Mm. So it was uh, long days and low speeds and lots of wood burning. <laughs> and, of course, all the crew and uh, and myself as the skipper, was, uh, we're all volunteers. And the 19 passengers we had on board we're absolutely amazed. The the trip, A, with the boat, it's 124 years old. Um, a, with the trip, and B, with the, the river at the moment is just unbelievable. It's beautiful. It's wide. It's it's deep, and it's running fast. And the entries and the exits out of the locks and weirs on the way up also uh, made it very, very interesting exercise. Oh, it sounds like an exciting trip, Max. It's, what's the name of the uh, side paddle? Is it a side paddle steamer? Yes, yeah, a side paddle. It's called the P.S. Marion. Oh, the Marion, yes. I know of the Marion. Yeah, she yeah. was built in 1897 down at Malang on the shores of Alexandrina. Yeah, it's a famous name, the Marion. Gee, uh, and where's it stabled at? If I can say that. We've been it's... talking about horses this morning. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's moored normally and permanently at Manor, but at the moment, uh, once I got to Renmark and the passengers got off, I had to then take her back downstream to Berry, and we put her on the slip at Berry. She's due for her slipping and survey inspection, so she's sitting on the slip and uh, Berry at the moment. Well, I'll come and see you, Max, as soon as I can, but I've got to fly, but nice to talk to you this morning, uh, and uh, thanks for the report on the Murray. It's nice to know, mate. Thank you. Yeah, she's running beautifully. Good on you, mate. Okay, thanks, mate. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.